Just before we get into today's episode, I want to cast your ears over here to this promo for a few minutes and explain why you might be missing out if you're not using Adobe Express. You've heard of Adobe, right? The chaps that brought you Illustrator, InDesign, and who hasn't been asked, has this been photoshopped? Adobe is a household name. But have you heard of Adobe Express? I hadn't until the back end of last year, and then, well, I did. Now, I'm not saying that in a few years' time, people will be asking you, where were you when you discovered Adobe Express? But they may ask why you didn't start using it sooner. Using Adobe Express allows endless opportunities to scale up your creatives and improve your efficiency and productivity, as well as anything I've seen or used. Creating and editing all your creative output with more customizable templates than a Rubik's Cube has variations. Well, all right, maybe not 43 quadrillion, but you get the idea. And that is just your basics. The powerful AI function allows you to generate customizable images from text and tweak them once created, as well as adding, removing, or changing parts of all your photos. No more photo bombing or misplaced Starbucks cups to dethrone you. Get it? If you don't want to miss out on any of this, use one of the links in the show notes that will take you to a free trial of Adobe Express. Or why not supersize it and trial the complete Adobe Creative Cloud package, which includes Adobe Express, as you'd imagine. Oh yeah, bonus point. If you're already a Creative Cloud user, Adobe Express is right there waiting for you. Now let's do it. 96% of the UK buildings need to be retrofitted. By 2040, 29 million homes need to be retrofitted because of the increasing population. So there are huge, 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 uh, there's a huge journey to be done. Welcome to Construction Disrupted, the ultimate podcast for the construction industry, exploring the limitless possibilities at the dynamic intersection of construction and technology. Wow, that's a mouthful. Delve into the latest topics, news, events, expert insights, and marketing that are shaping the industry right now and in the future. We'll hopefully sprinkle a little bit of humor in there for you as well. I'm your guide, Peter Sumpton, and I run a construction technology marketing agency, Build Different. If you're ready to embrace disruption and unlock the potential of the construction industry, keep on listening and be part of the conversation that's reshaping the future of construction. If you're not, uh, I really wouldn't bother. It's, it's probably not going to be that interesting for you. Whether you're a construction technology professional or just part of the construction industry in general, this podcast is your go-to resource for staying informed, inspired, and of course, connected. Speaking of connected, the best way you can help to support this podcast is by sharing it far and wide and leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Right then, let's go and build different and get disruptive. Carbon neutral, carbon negative, net zero, and other similar words are banded around the industry like a duchy to the left-hand side. One for the younger generation there, right? With commitments and targets to a more sustainable future set decades away 
they do nothing to help what many believe to be the biggest problem the construction industry faces. It can be frustrating for everyone involved within the built environment to see organisations set these fanciful targets with no real robust plan of how to achieve them. This isn't helped by external industry influences occurring within the political realm, as well as other pressures from inside the industry itself. It feels like the focus is always on the coal face of the industry, focusing on what happens on site rather than on the innovative products and services that are integral to achieving such lofty ambitions. So it's always refreshing to speak to somebody that is looking at product development, taking it right back to the start from a raw material perspective and looking to help the built environment by focusing on the natural environment. Our guest today is Olivia Page. Olivia's architectural education and experience has always focused on bio-based and sustainable materials for construction, striving to prove that it is possible to build with a variety of affordable material options that don't cost the planet. In January 2022, Olivia co-founded and is now the CEO of Mycor, a company that creates carbon-negative building materials grown from waste and fungi. Olivia has also been developing other innovative construction materials from wastes and is working on construction-related projects in Portugal. So, hola, Olivia. Welcome. And mm. did I miss anything from that intro? <laughs> Hi, Peter. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, no, you didn't miss anything. Um, so, yeah, super excited to be here today talking about Mycorn. Um, as you mentioned, we are based between the UK and Bristol and just outside of Lisbon in Portugal, where we're setting up our first pilot factory. So really excited um, to be talking about the scalability of biofabrication and what is biofabrication. Uh, yeah, I think we'll have a, a good conversation about some of these things because there's a few things even then that you uh, you mentioned that aren't 100% clear to me. So, so on that, there are loads of new technologies and innovations coming in construction and some of them pass into the mainstream and, and are no longer seen as new and innovative and are just the norm. So I'm thinking like CAD and BIM and various PPE not so long ago was seen as like the pinnacle of innovation, but it's now like a prerequisite both on and, and off site. But one of those innovations right now, or I find it very innovative and, and new that I'm pretty unfamiliar with is biofabrication. So I think it'd be good to start with, what is biofabrication? Absolutely. So um, in my opinion, biofabrication is the production and the scalability of industrial biotechnology. And so essentially, in other words, that's leveraging microorganisms to manufacture the materials of the future. Um, and actually, it's, in my opinion, the fourth industrial revolution. So it's the future of manufacturing and it's based on living organisms. So biofabrication in itself is an innovative business model. Um, it's, it's innovative because it's sequestering carbon because actually we're using biomass um, by using biomass, not only are you using through photosynthesis, you have sequestered carbon within that mass, but you also are able to rework any product that is made from biomass at the end of its life. Therefore, that's what we hear 
when we when, when people say circular design are we designing for circularity um are we designing for recyclability this is the definition of working with biomass so um in our opinion um this circular design is 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 resistant and it's renewable for the future um so in our case in our world we are actually working with one of the biggest manufacturers of paper in Europe so they are producing on average 1. something beyond a million tons every year of uh, industrial biomass residues that they cannot process in the mill so in the paper mill um manufacture manufacturing process um so we're able to divert that from currently being incinerated the moment it has very little monetary value economic value um to their industrial process um and we're able to actually transform it through biofabrication into a product which can be used in construction wow cool so uh, i think just to elaborate on that point so you, you take you take this material and you make it into products that can be used in construction what type of products are, are we looking at here exactly so um, we've chosen to work with insulation. Um, I can go into more details to why insulation, but um, essentially the product that we're, we're, we're offering is called the Mycofoam. Um, and the Mycofoam is not only using paper industrial residues, mycelium, beer residues, but we also have a dedicated team of scientists to specifically engineer the product to be suitable for construction applications such as making sure that it's extremely durable but without compromising on the sustainability so these additives are increasing the water resistance the mold resistance and even the thermal properties despite the fact that actually the product without the additives is extremely fire resistant for a biobased material as we've all heard those classic old, old um, children's stories of the of the house that was made out of straw um getting getting burnt down first actually um they do have a bad reputation by by base materials for for their fire resistance so um so actually we are we are really confident that bio-based materials can be engineered to be as performative and actually even more performative than the uh than the current competitors on the market um, particularly in relation to the main the main materials such as mineral walls and uh, and plastic based foams, so um, you know we're actually able to outperform in in some of the the, the properties of, of our in our product. Wow, that's that's really really cool. Thanks for explaining that. It's uh, it, it's a bit of an eye opener. I'm sure some people listening will have gain something from that and knowing and understanding that things like that are going on and it is it is it is possible uh to and and to see those products I, i've seen certain products in in that region and the, it sounds silly to say but they look they look real <laughs> you know they, they look like the actual product should look like whereas I, I suppose if you're not used to seeing things like that you, you could imagine it being a little bit I'm not sure it looks organic. It doesn't look like it belongs, if you like, you know, but but for me, when I've seen them, they, they really do. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, there are a lot of products that are also being chosen for their aesthetical um, appearance. There are there are products like Hempcrete and there are some really beautifully uh, designed projects across the UK, across Europe, well, globally. 
um and and actually you know this is this is a double this is a double-edged sword because there's um there are people that are actively choosing to use more sustainable products to be exposed um and and to have that kind of sustainable aesthetic um mm. but then i personally believe that actually sustainability does not have to have an aesthetic like sustainability is the ability to you know last to be um to have a place culturally uh in in value to the people that are in in this case using the building um for me that is sustainable and it isn't it isn't confined to a specific aesthetic appearance mm -hmm. so this is again going back to that whole uh coming into the mainstream or being innovative i still see it as as, as being innovative and if you're yeah. going to have an impact in any way shape or form within construction for the big challenges the industry faces things that have to be scalable they just have to be because it's that it's that big of an industry so is this what you're i know i know it might be early days but is this what you're working towards a more a more scalable option this is exactly what we're working on. Um, so, um, so my background is is in architecture. I, I trained in my BA, my MA in architecture, um, and the main reason, actually, for myself and my co-founder Valentina starting my core, was this desire to actually be able to 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 access genuinely sustainable and affordable um, products to be able to work with in our projects. So. Um, at our extremely early stage in as you know as, as startups go shortly after establishing our our lab in in bristol um not long afterwards we already um set up started to set up a pilot factory which as i mentioned we're, we're about to open um and and yeah so the the view of the factory is absolutely to make sure that anything that is developed in the lab um can be scaled in the factory and we do see the pilot factory as as a lab as r d um and so we have regular meetings in fact more bi-weekly bi meetings between the scientists in the lab and the production team to share ideas and ensure the scalability of everything that is developed at a lab scale so whether that's the additives that are being developed are these additives um coming from renewable resources, number one, um, are they uh, accessible in the right quantity and at the right price point um, to be able to manufacture them? Are they close to our production site? Are we able to get them um, in, in quantity close to where we're actually producing at the moment? So these are extremely, these are, this is the forefront of, of what, we are, what we're doing at Michael. Um, you know, we, are, we, do not, we do not exist to be another R&D company that promises a um, promises an innovative product that is never actually realised. So that is, how I think, what makes Michael um, stand out from from the R and D world is that we are actually manufacturers, um, and then one of the largest European paper manufacturers who are based mm. half an hour from our site, which is strategically why we chose that site for our pilot production is the um, is the reason we are collaborating with such a large organization is for that very reason is to be able to access you know their 1.6 million tons of 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 residues that they're producing at a con consistent quality and a consistent uh, uh, quantity so 
Um, so for us, that's, uh, that was a, a very conscious decision. And then um, in, in, in environmental terms, by collaborating with them, we were, we were able to divert 6,000 tonnes of CO2 by, uh, by year five in just our pilot factory. Oh, fantastic. And it, it's great to see that you've taken that initial step or, or, or changing what most organizations um, in, in your space do. And, and you've taken that leap to, to actually own that manufacturing uh, space as well, which gives you a lot more control and, and that, you know, that you can look mm. at quality and all that kind of stuff, which can massively, massively help. Uh, so that's all fantastic um, and absolutely heading in the right direction. And it seems like, you know, you're laying the foundations for what can be massively scalable. But there's there's a lot of buzzwords that buzz <laughs> around the industry. Um, and there's no real substance behind some of the claims that organizations put to them at. I'm not talking about the, the the innovators. I'm not talking about the the product developers. It's more the people that utilize it or the the lawmakers, for example. And and if you take net zero, I think there's a lot of organizations that use these buzzwords um, to gain attention, but they don't really add any value to it. Um, and I think things like the Climate Change Act that commits the UK government to reducing greenhouse gases by i think it's 1990 levels by like a hundred percent by 2050 it's like these targets that are being set and these buzzwords that are being used in these organizations that jump on these buzzwords some of it actually feels often me it feels unachievable particularly for an industry that's quite slow to change so are these targets that we're seeing and 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 the time frame set around them is it actually achievable <laughs> <laughs> a long, i know that was a long a long way to get to that question but ah uh, yeah no, i've I'm got laughing. my reservations i'm laughing because yeah i also have my reservations so, um yeah as you as you as i think you know the government isn't, well, the UK government isn't moving fast enough. Absolutely not. Mm. Um, so without being too political, I mean, this is a political Absolutely. question. But um, we have, so we have targets for, for 20, 30, 40, 50. Um, and unfortunately, there has been a, a recent U-turn and, and, and actually mm. I think there's not enough that's being done, um, you know, Landlords are now not being forced to retrofit. Um, there's more incentivization around sort of indulging develop, developers, um, developments, and the future home standard Partel, which is the sort of, I would say the most forward regulatory um, piece that the UK government had put in place in relation to operational carbon um, and that is now being put under revision again. So um, so no one's at this stage in time, no one is really that sure on what the future will look like in, in practical terms for making sure we get to net zero by 2050. 96% mm -hmm. um, of the UK buildings need to be retrofitted. I think by 2040, nine, what was it? 29 million homes need to be retrofitted because of the increasing population. 
So there are huge, 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 uh, there's a huge journey to be done. Um, and then mm. if, if you also look at the, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the more recent, you know, the more recent changes to, to government and, and the policy. So the, the, the EPC is a massive topic of conversation in, in the government at the moment. And so EPC is a rating in which our buildings classified for their energy performance. So you will have A to G and obviously G G being the worst for energy performance um, and A being the best. I think you can go up to A star actually. But um, so <laughs> just the, in, in practical terms, a building is classified. You have to pay a small amount of money. Well, small obviously is relative, but the um, the 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 incentivizations before were that they could be covered by the government to be making sure that we understand how much the building needs to be improved from a thermal perspective, from heating, from energy source perspective, so that we can make sure that we're reducing the amount of energy that's spent in heating, cooling, lighting our buildings, um, basically just making them more energy efficient. Um, and so if we look at the UK alone, I think it's about a million buildings that are currently below E rating. So that means that the average household that is on an E EPC rating and below, uh, i.e. worse, are spending on average £1,000 a year more than a household that has an EP EPC rating of D and above. So, so you know, this is this is an energy poverty conversation. Um, this is this is like energy prices increasing, and it's um, mm. you know not only is it about sustainability, but this is actually about just. In fact, the NHS there's a, there's something a ridiculous statistic of the cost of the NHS on badly insulated and just bad housing stock, which is I think it's like fifty billion cost annually to the NHS. It's ridiculous. Wow. This is not just a sustainability conversation. This is like a healthcare yeah. situation. This is energy. This is poverty conversations. So it's 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 absolutely imperative that the government take this more seriously. Um, and I again, not going into politics. Yeah, I mean, it opens so many different doors, doesn't it? When 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 you put it like that, and and I hadn't even thought about the the different uh, connotations for for things and, and where that leads into the bigger challenges, even bigger yeah. challenges that, 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 that leads to. And, and speaking of challenges, absolute seamless segue there. Uh, it's great to create these new innovative products and they replace old carbon dense or old carbon dense counterparts. But the other side of the coin, regardless of where they come from is, is waste on site waste. There's no real getting away from that. So I think manufacturers, and contractors and site owners, they all need to take responsibility for that. So as a manufacturer, what are you doing or what can be done once the mm. product has left the factory to help with this waste? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a really, really good question because um, because it's, it's high on our agenda to understand logistically how that will work. We're still in the process of understanding that. Obviously, we We'll start commercializing next April so we can get into more uh, nitty gritty details on how we will do that in practice. Mm. So, uh, you know, we aim, is all I can say at, the, at this moment in time, but we aim to have a take back policy, um, okay. which essentially means that, um, you know, there's, there's sort of three, there's three areas here that I'd like to talk about. The first one being that if a contractor over orders when they are doing their procurement process, we will 
we can, when we will, be able to take back those products um, that were overordered so that they don't get and they don't end up in the skip, essentially. Mm. Um, the the second the second point there would be at the end of the of the lifetime of the product, which by the way is the lifetime of the building. Um, let's imagine that that was 50, 100 years. Um, <laughs> who knows where we'll be in the, in that amount of time? Well, but that um, is true, yeah. <laughs> we would like to be able. I mean, it is very feasible and it's very possible. It, given the circularity, as I mentioned earlier, of the product, we will be able to take back old panels and remake them into new ones. Um, and that's part of that take back policy that we're still understanding and getting to grips with. You know, there there are certain projects which are actually more temporary buildings, and and that's something that we're actively looking into. The third point I'd mention is that actually, as a as a startup, we have that sort of agility to be able to, you know, talk to have lots of different market research conversations and talk to diff different diverse um, clients. So what that means is actually we're prioritizing to be working with off-site contractors. And actually that's part of our business model is that we are prioritizing clients that are wor working in a very prefabricated modular fashion. So they are able to, i.e. not be wasting on specific construction sites. Most of that will be centralized in their production in their production facilities, so they can then be reusing any unused products in their next construction project projects. Um, it also decreases the amount of transportation, um, and it also actually allows for a more system approach to building. So they are most often working with other bio-based products. They're often valuing more of a sustainable way of building. Um, so, so for us, that just aligns on a mission, you know, on a mission level. Um, and, and it's not just about a simple product substitution. We're thinking on, on a, on a sort of scale perspective, but I would love to hear more feedback on anything else that we could be doing because this, this is, you know, sustainability is absolutely at the heart of, of what we're trying to do. So you mentioned price like at the, at the start of our conversation and i think one thing we can agree on is there's still a mentality of cheapest price wins within construction especially when it comes to products and and install particularly in the uk that's all i can really vouch for but the triple bottom line comes into play here where profit sits alongside people and planet on the balance sheet now innovative products can be seen as expensive but you did mention cost earlier uh, and therefore have a rough ride when trying to establish a foothold in the market they can be undercut by cheaper and mostly inferior products which is dangerous obviously as, as we've seen in the recent past to, to tragic circumstances um we may be a way off this yet in terms of sustainable products getting down to that cheaper level but when they do there's a danger that they become the commodity and therefore the cheapest and not most environmental product starts to win. Um, how do we make sure this doesn't happen? And is there a danger that this could happen, that commodity wins and therefore cheapest and not most environmental product starts to, um, starts to flood the market? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question because we've noticed that I mean it's called greenwashing <laughs> greenwashing I guess is the best the best way to frame that 
And we've definitely noticed that in, in, in products. And it's frustrating because when you're trying to do your best, um, you're compared to on the same level, mm. you're on the same, you know, you're being compared to. And that, I mean, there's, there's, there's many things there. There's EPDs are not being as transparent as they should be. There's not, there's no obligation to do the full circle, you know, the full cycle of the, uh, you don't have to declare from A to, you know, it's, it's actually cradle to cradle. It's not obligatory. The fact is that you have, you have EPDs. So we're, we're being put, pinned up against other sort of sustainable products. Um, and we're all being compared to, because actually the way in which the market is structured at the moment is you have the two main products that dominate about 80% of the market. Obviously, since as I think you were mentioning earlier, you mentioned a tragic, tragic event. Um, I think I know which ones you're talking about. Um, because of those tragic events, actually, the majority now is being overtaken by the mineral walls. So, um, so essentially, if you're not a mineral wall, you're um, the only alternatives are these sort of more sustainable green alternatives, and we're all being pitted against each other. Um, so there are many products within that. I mean, sustainability is a compromise at the end of the day. Um, just to exist, just to make, just to construct is not sustainable in its mm. very existence. <laughs> um, it's just not. Like, you're never going to find anything that is actually, you know, positively impacting the the, the environment, the planet. Um just by its very definition, it is not sustainable. Um, however, I think with certain products, they're being marketed in a, uh, this is actually, I would love to ask you about this, being a marketing consultant. You know, it's being marketed in a way that um, that is saying that it's, for example, 100% bio-based or 100% hemp or 100% whatever and actually you go into the technical data sheet and you find that hemp wool is actually 50% hemp and 50% polystyrene or <laughs> I don't know like and you're like oh that's why you're so cheap <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or you're saying oh that's why you're so thermally performative because normally hemp wool isn't that isn't that um isn't that performative or, or cheap it's extremely expensive and it's also competing with food because you're it's an arable crop anyway there's mm -hmm. this is what I come back to there's always a trade-off at some point mm -hmm. um and and I I don't feel like I have any specific solution you know I'm not I don't think there's one solution I think there's going to be like lots of heads yeah. that need to come together and lots of different in and, and I do think that's why innovation is important but um, but at the moment, yeah, we are being driven by price. We are being driven by the market. We are being driven by subsidized industry players that have been in this market forever. And, um, yeah, and so, but they are desperate. They are desperate because they mm. can see that the market is changing. You know, wood fiber is is seeing, I, I think it's doubling. It's in just like a couple of years, I think the revenue is doubling, like, because of because of awful instances like Grenfell, you know, people are actually, it's not just from a sustainability perspective, but it's also just from a health and from a safety perspective. People do not want to be living in 
unsafe building. So there mm. is a demand, and that, that, that there is a there is a huge role that consumers can play in that, uh, other than the policies that we mentioned earlier. Um, but at the moment, the market is driven by profit. So 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 that is that is where that is where we're at right now. Um, but it's changing, yeah. and uh, I feel really positive because I've I've really felt in the last two years specifically. I mean, I've been working. I've been working in in sort of bio-based construction materials. I've always focused on that since I started studying architecture. And I have really noticed that um, in the last two years, there's been a huge change of um, change of understanding of what is a bio-based construction material and what is sustainability for construction. And people genuinely wanting to know how to do better. And it might just be commercial because people are mm. seeing that the client wanting more and it might just be that but you know that's better than you know that's better than not not be the desired not being there at all in terms of th these products i i think it might have been flippant of me to say that it's innovative products that are, that are expensive to make because in the recent past like one of the major challenges particularly within the uk construction has been price increase right across the board for loads of different products so are you seeing mm. anything like that just within um, insulation itself and and the raw materials that are coming in to make that insulation. Yes, so um, the price of polystyrene has gone up because of the cost of oil. Obviously, polystyrene is made from oil, um, but it has always been subsidised. So actually, it's been a very it's a traditionally an extremely cheap product. Mm. Um, and in fact, I do think that the bar has been made too low and I don't think insulation should be that cheap um, um, because because it does make it it does make it almost impossible to, to compete and it does make it very very hard for anyone to come in um, I mean it's a bit of a chicken and egg because if you're not you know if you're not price competitive and no one's going to be buying product but then you can't scale it's all about mass sort of scales and economies isn't it so yeah but yeah do you think that we do need subs subsidizing in the way in the same way that other kind of more conventional products have been subsidized in the past and continue to be in some ways but polystyrene aspect has gone up even though it's still too cheap but if we can be using less energy in the manufacturing process then actually it can be a cheaper product and that's what we're working mm. on our production facility is is 70 percent solar powered so uh, we can also not only just be generating most of our own energy, but we're also selling it back in peak and peak um, peak solar gains. Um, cool. So we're we're almost able to to combat that element. I mean, we're privileged in the fact that we're in, in a very, you know, we're in Portugal in, in in Alentejo, which has a lot of solar gain, and that was also a strategic decision, um, yeah. despite the fact that a lot of our clients are UK based. So there's a bit of a trade off there with the, the kind of energy in, in the transportation, mm -hmm. but. Um, but yeah, but there's, there are some products in the market that it's impossible for them to decarbonize, like just mm -hmm. by their raw materials and the nature of what they are, they're not ever going to be at a point where they can be sustainable. Like there is nothing sustainable about polystyrene. There is nothing sustainable about extracting minerals from the earth and heating them at 3000 degrees Celsius, turn them into threads. Yeah, and, and also just from a health perspective. How many people do I know that have installed mineral wool and have allergic reactions and have asthma or have bad mm. physical reactions to a lot of the products that we're installing in our buildings today? I want to finish on, we'll go full circle and, and back to uh, your your area of expertise and, and the actual products, if, if you like. 
Uh, and within any innovative space, it isn't just build and forget. You know, there's iterations and it's always evolving when something new's on, on the market. So if you take BIM, for example, you know, we've now got 4D and 5D and I'm sure it's somewhere with 6D. God knows what that is. We'll soon get, you know, sights and smells, you know, coming through the, the, the screen. Um, and and the, the you know, the 1D, 2D, the iterations that come before it have to do that to make 4D, 5D become a reality. So within the biofabrication sphere, are we still discovering substances and properties and residues and things like this that can take products a, a step further? Definitely. Um, so I would say that the the market in which we're we're operating in. So obviously we are using mycelium, for example. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a small part of of our product, but. Um, it's one that most people pick up on due to the fact that it's quite unusual. Um, mm -hmm. And we've seen though that the, the mycelium, despite the fact that as a, as a company, we aren't, um, you know, we, we don't push from a marketing perspective, the fact that we are a mycelium, you know, we're not, it's not about mycelium. It's about, you know, an engineered product specifically for construction. And mm -hmm. we have seen the, the mycelium market grow immensely and um and it's currently worth i think five billion globally um as a market size um and that's growing at i think one of the highest rates out of any industry at the moment so i think it's like 7.5 percent uh cagr um and um and it's so untapped in the in its in its um in its ability i think it's like i mean there there are some wow. really really books um that have, that have been that have been coming out recently um shell drake would be one of them and um and i know i think in his book he, he talks about how it is one of the most untapped um organisms that exist and it's one of the oldest and most important organisms in our whole ecosystem in fact we wouldn't exist today without it and you know it's even in our bodies so i think that there's so much information that, um that needs to be um, it needs to be understood about, you know, biomimicry. There's so much information that we can learn from the way in which our ecosystem operates, and mm. um, and and it's. I think it's only been, you know, only, people have only started looking into it in the last sort of twenty years, maybe, mm. maybe a bit longer depending on what it is. But um, you know that this is, as I say, I think it's the fourth the fourth revolution. Is a bio, it was biofabrication and this whole world of. Um, of biomimicry or utilizing or um, exploring microorganisms and biotechnology. Um, so it's it's really exciting. And I I never see, you know, people are like, oh, you've got a competitor, mycelium competitor. And I'm like, I don't really see it as a competitor. I just see this as like, you know, there's so much to untap here and there's so much mm. that we should be doing together to uh, to really actually help. There's there's so much damage that has been made and, and I feel like this is like a more positive way in which we can be um, unfolding the damages and that we've done in the past. I think it could actually have a positive impact like micro remediation and, um, and actually balancing out that damage to, to be more, po I think people are calling it planet positive um, <laughs> planet development. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, um, that's another buzzword to add to the. There's, there's, there's so many, there's so many buzzwords, but. Um, 
but you know yeah the, the core of it all that's that's the that's the aim isn't it um, yeah yeah uh, absolutely um yeah i mean olivia it's been it's been a, a real eye-opener hearing about biofabrication and what it actually what it actually is and what it what it can do and and how passionate you are uh, about it so like i mean thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and and expanding my mind and and the listeners mind and educating us a little bit on everything that's biofabrication i, I really do appreciate it thank you thank you so much for having me it's been a real pleasure thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day and giving this a listen if you want to chat further about anything you've heard on today's episode have a topic or technology you'd like me to cover or simply want to say hiya you'll find me on linkedin or through the emails peter at builddifferent.marketing stay disruptive